Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, the podcast is going to be about a case study that they're going to go over. And every once in a while, they'll do these types of podcasts because it's a really good, clear look into the work they do with their families. And I want to make mention before we start that Copper Beach works nationwide. So this podcast is nationwide. So wherever you're at listening to this, as you go through it and you hear them explaining things and and the, the genius behind the voices, you can reach out to them no matter where you're living. So without further ado, good morning, John and Michael. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Eric. How are you, sir? Well, that was a great intro this morning. Well, thank you. I'm 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 all jazzed up. Uh, you That's know, great. The genius behind the voices. Genius behind the voices. I got to write that one down. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's 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 true. So uh, I'm here to learn. I know that we're going to go through a case study today, and and I yep. believe it has something to do with charitable planning, if I'm not mistaken. It yes. does. Yes. This is uh, this is a case study. It's one of our favorites, I think. Uh, and it actually, it happened before I started. Working with Copper Beach, this is actually probably predates Copper Beach in general, but it's a really, really good case study. It's a really, it's one of those cases, and and, and Dad, you'll obviously elaborate on it. But it's one of those cases that I think really ties everything together. And we had a podcast not too long ago about uh, philanthropic planning and charitable planning, and this is going to incorporate some of those themes that we talked about and. It isn't just a tax conversation, but this is also a generational governance conversation. And the reason why we like this case so much is because it really ties those two things together. So, Dad, let's uh, give us a little backstory about this. Yeah, case. I'm going to take everybody back about 20 years when we uh, met this family out of Chicago. Now, I'll give you a little background. I, I didn't have my own firm back then. I worked for a larger organization, and we had teams of specialists pretty much throughout the country. If there wasn't a specialist in that area, they would fly us in to handle a case, and that's really how this this came about. So I don't uh, I didn't work in Chicago at the time. I worked primarily in the East Coast, uh, out of the Philadelphia region. But there was a case that again there was a challenge, and they brought our team in uh, from New Jersey. I guess where that's where your genius the comment is, Eric. But basically, we had we had the we had the concepts and the planning uh, expertise to help. So, so basically, I'll start with the family. It was a closely held family. They worked uh, primarily in the industrial world. They owned a lot of industrial real estate, a lot of properties out of Chicago, very old family. I think it was third generation, if I recall. And the gentleman that um, owned this piece of land, it was, I can't remember the town outside of Chicago, but it was where they did a lot of farming. Uh, outside of Chicago, there's, there used to be a lot of farmland. There probably is. But this gentleman owned this property. And a company that was farming that land leased that property from them for years. Now, if you think about that concept for a moment, he leased the property out, and he got a check every every month from the folks that were leasing the property. That was his cash flow. That was his retirement, fund money, whatever you, however you want to define it. It was money coming in that he was using to, to enjoy his life. And it was roughly $380,000 a year, which is a pretty nice chunk of change coming in. Sunday one afternoon, he got a letter from this particular company and said, you know, uh, we're no longer going to uh, farm land in your area, so we're not going to re-up our lease. So at the end of the 
year, we're not going to renew our lease. So now he had a little bit of a dilemma, although it was pretty affluent, but that was the cash flow he relied on. That was what money he was living on. So how he's going to replace that? So he was scurrying around with the CPA and said, gee, how am I going to replace $350,000 a year? So he was trying to work out some planning with the CPA and his family. And, uh, and the CPA said, well, why don't we take that land? I believe it was like seven acres. Why don't we subdivide it and sell it off to developers? He, he liked the idea, but he didn't like the idea. He wanted to keep it as farmland because he wanted to make sure that uh, that was available to to release to someone who wanted to farm it. Um, but he also was re- receptive to, you know, maybe we, we parcel it off and sell it to a developer. But if you go back to that time frame, the capital gain tax rate was 28% on that transaction if you sold parcels of land off, plus whatever state um, tax was. So it was a little high. So he said, well, I'm not, I'm not really in favor of that. And so he was going back and forth, and a few months went by, and he was frustrated, like a lot of people do, trying to make those very good tactical decisions in their families. And the CPA said, you know, there's this group out of uh, out of this company I work with. They're pretty sophisticated guys from a planning standpoint. Why don't we bring them in and challenge them on this project? So hence, they brought our team in from, from the Philadelphia office, and we sat with the CPA and the client, and the the message was very, very clear. I, I want to replace this income. I, I have wealth over here, uh, but I want to replace the income. I want to do something with this land that I'm not sure if we should sell it or, or, or do something different with it. So skip ahead, we suggested that he set up a charitable trust. Now, the reason why that, that topic hit home, because he was very philanthropic, uh, when we started to get into the nitty-gritty of his family, very philanthropic, but is also very tax-motivated um, tax by, uh, you know, what I mean by that, he didn't want to pay as much tax as he was paying. So the charitable trust idea started to be attractive to him. So he said, okay, so tell me how this works. So we, so we're, our suggestion was we take this, this piece of land and donate it to a charitable remainder unit trust. I believe in a previous podcast, Michael talked about how that structure works. We won't get into that today, but uh, except on the surface. But basically, you just take this asset, put it in this trust, and the trust is designed that the land is sold in that trust, and there's no tax because it's a tax-exempt charitable trust. Right. One of the one of the few trusts on the charitable side that are tax-exempt. That's a that's a key point. So we took this this idea and we said, let's take this land, put it in this trust, and let's sell it in the trust, pay no tax. And then get income from this trust. That's the way the trust works. So you could put assets in this trust, and you could live off an income stream off that trust based on your goals and objectives. Now, the, now, why it made sense to him, let's go back to him um, thinking about holding on to this piece of real estate. If he sold it, he had a 28% tax rate plus state. So that was not very attractive to him, but that was an option. Uh, the other option was I could release it, but that that's a long shot, so I have to wait for that. I'm not patient. I want income now. Uh, but he also had an estate issue. Now, if you go back to the tax code on the estate side, back when this when this um, plan was being developed, the estate tax code looked like this. It was a million-dollar exemption per person in a family. That means both husband and wife had million-dollar exemptions, which means they could take $2 million, pass it to their kids, and the kids paid no estate tax on that $2 million transfer. The other remaining assets... They had to pay a 55% estate tax. Now, in, we always talked about 
in our podcast in the past that the estate tax is really a voluntary tax. You really don't have to pay it. And what we mean by that is it's in the tax code, but but the government gives you tools and techniques to limit that tax to zero if you want to look at zero or something in between. So basically, if if you look at that that's that pain he had, I got this tax issue, and I, I want to avoid it. So so if you if you follow this, the first step, the first step was let's take that six million dollars, donate it to this trust, and sell the asset in the trust. No capital gain tax because remember it's a tax exempt trust, and it eliminated that fifty five percent estate tax. So he was able to move six million dollars out of his estate into this trust and pay no tax. This is all this has been the tax code for for years, ladies and gentlemen. It's been in the code for at least 50, 60 years. And then reason why to just to add why that is out of your taxable estate, if you recall from our prior podcasts, the charitable remainder trust at the end of whatever period of time you choose to receive an income stream from that trust as, as an individual, you can do that over a term of years or you can do that over your lifetime. But at the end of whatever period of time you choose, at the end of that, it goes to a charitable entity could go to, as we'll get into, maybe a family foundation. It can go to any any uh, really nonprofit organization. And because it does go to that charitable beneficiary, it's not considered a part of your estate. So basically, uh, the next step would be when you make a charitable contribution, you get a charitable deduction against your income tax over spread over five years. So when we looked at that calculation, and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head exactly, but it was around $700,000 worth of tax benefit he had by making this transfer against his income tax. So you see, it starts really leveraging the tax code. You get income tax deduction, you save capital gains on it, on the transaction if you, if you sold it outside of the trust, and you save 55% of state taxes. So if you look at that whole transaction, we probably save him a million seven in taxes, roughly, by making this transfer. He was pretty excited about that. Plus, he got income out of this trust, which was more than he was getting from leasing this company or this land to this other company. So on two, on three fronts, he was real excited. I got income tax strategy, I got an estate tax strategy, and I got more income. And I could offset that income by this tax deduction I got. So he was like beaming. This is great. This is, this is genius. And he said, is this legal? And we said, absolutely. It's part of the tax code. And the CPA jumped in and said, yeah, charitable planning has been around for a long time. And the reason, the reason it's been around, around for a long time. If individuals like yourself don't give it to charity, the government's got to take care of everybody. So the government likes charitable giving, and they don't mind giving deductions for it because it helps the community, basically. So we're going through his planning, and one of the things that we uncovered from his planning, he had three children, loved his kids. They're all pretty much local to him in this area. And through the strategy was, he said, okay, so what happens to this $6 million value when I pass away? And to Michael's point, the way it's designed, it has to go to a charitable structure. So his gut reaction was, well, okay, I got all this benefit, but my kids really are out $6 million. That's 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 not attractive to me to a large degree, but I, I get why I have to do it. But is is there potentially another way that we can do this to and get the same benefit? So through that conversation, and the answer is yes, but through that conversation, we discovered that his goal was to keep his family together. Because he was challenged by his, I believe, his oldest daughter, who is um, not necessarily the favorite child of the family. She had issues, uh, and he was his goal was as a parent and as a father was trying to keep these kids in a in a focal point where keep them close to them so they all helped each other through life. 
So two steps were taken after this discussion. One, we suggested that out of that income that he received, which was more than he was getting when he was leasing the property to that other company, he was going to take a part of that income that he, didn't, that he had extra and gift it to an irrevocable life insurance trust. And he bought a life insurance policy on both he and his wife that replaced the asset upon them passing. So the way the trust was designed is he both he and his wife got income for their lifetime, and then it went to a charitable cause. So what this did was set up a, a life insurance trust funded by these gifts that he was making with that excess income. Remember, he got tax savings along the way. And the way he looked at it is Uncle Sam was funding this gift because, remember, he saved a million seven in overall taxes plus his, plus the taxes he was going to save on his income. So he looked at it as Uncle Sam's helping me pay for this because they give me this tax benefit. And he was, wasn't wrong. So he took part of this this money and gifted to a, to a life insurance trust that bought $6 million worth of insurance on both he and his wife. It's called a survivorship policy. Earmarked just to pay out when the second spouse passes away. So let's do the math. He donates $6 million to this trust, gets all those tax benefits, takes part of the income that he was deriving from this trust, gifted to a life insurance trust that held the policy, was out of his estate, and when he, he and his wife passed away, $6 million got paid to that, that insurance trust. $6 million went to charity. So let's do the process. Charity got $6 million in the benefit. The family got income benefits for their lifetime. And upon passing, the kids got $6 million in a life insurance trust tax-free. So it was replaced. Well, he was real excited at that point. He said, this is, this is great, great techniques. But that didn't really carry him over the hump. What carried him over the hump was... What charity do we pick? How do we make that decision at the end of the rainbow? So along the way through the discussions, again, remember, he wanted to really keep his kids together. We decided to take that $6 million value, whatever value in that trust was, and move it to a family foundation in his name. And the foundation was, in his eyes, was a way that he keeps his name in the public locally. And the way the foundation works you, mandatorily, you have to give at least 5% of the corpus of that trust out every year. So basically, his thinking was, okay, I've, everybody in the community knows this foundation has been created. They all know that money has to be distributed from it. And he, it was a way that he can keep his kids involved with this foundation, not only keep them involved with each other, but also be a very important part of the community. So he looked at it as a, he referred to it as a power base for his family. Like I'm creating a legacy of my name in my community and give my kids the benefit of that decision as time goes on. Now, what's interesting about this foundation and how we kept the kids together, each one of the kids had different responsibilities each year, and they rotated it. So the daughter you know, did all the administrative function. Um, the One of the sons managed the assets in the trust, and the other son gave it out every year. And they rotated that responsibility each and every year. So they all got expertise on managing this family foundation as it relates to the structure of it. And it, and it was a, a, a clear message to this particular client that I accomplished all my objectives. I leveraged my tax burden. I increased my income from this trust that I lost by this um, lease deal that went south. I, my wife and I were very comfortable living off that income for the rest of our lives. I was able to fund an insurance trust to replace that asset to my children. And I kept my children together in this foundation to make sure that not only it kept the family tight, 
It also gave them a power base in the community. Now, what's interesting, Eric, each and every year they went to the Cayman Islands and had a meeting on the foundation, the family foundation meeting. And how the trust, how the foundation works is that you're allowed to charge a half a percent to the corpus of that trust for expenses that you could take out of that particular foundation to service that foundation. So they were they were further committing to working with each other as time went on by going on vacation every year with their kids. And the whole idea of the, of the generational component was their kids were going to step in and run this foundation because over time they started to fund the foundation. So so the, so the family name was embedded in the community. Everybody got involved, including the grandkids at a later date, and they all stayed together. So it's a very fascinating case. And that's just some of the designs we have in these particular uh, family events. But it wasn't just taxes, if you can read through the lines. There's yeah. a lot of other moving parts. Yeah, no, that, that's why I love this case for that reason, because although it started as being more of a tax mitigation issue where the, the client said, I really don't want to sell this land and pay all this capital gain tax, you could see how some of these decisions and planning can really branch off into a lot of these different areas and, and philanthropy that's why I love philanthropy so much and philanthropic planning so much because it really encompasses a lot of these different objectives that the family has, you know, tax mitigation and also keeping the family together uh, as well. And and one thing I wanted to, to really touch on again is that is that that trust that was created with that life insurance policy that you mentioned, that wealth replacement trust, Dad, because that's sometimes when we we have conversations with families about philanthropic planning, that is oftentimes a pushback is. They want to. They really like the idea of philanthropic planning, but they want to make sure that they're not cutting off their children or their family or future generations from that that asset base. And this is just one way in which it really worked out for this family, where you can recreate that that value back into the family and achieve both of those objectives at the same time. Yeah, that gets back to that zero tax planning concept that I mentioned earlier. If you look at estate planning by its very design. Most people do level one and level two. They do basic documents. They might have some some trust documents drafted, but they stop there. We do five levels. We take families through five levels of estate planning, and the fifth level is you pay zero tax. And I'll give you an example. If you're worth $25 million today, as an example, and you're in the tax world, the estate tax world, which you would be at that level, you could, you could take that whole $25 million asset, real estate, company assets, cash, investments, and give it to a charitable trust upon your passing. All goes to a charitable trust for good causes, no taxes. You could set up that wealth replacement trust that Michael just mentioned and put a $25 million death benefit in that trust, and your kids get $25 million tax-free. So everybody wins. Now, that that's, you know, a broad, that's kind of hard to get across to folks, but in concept, that's how you would look at zero tax planning. If you wanted to, if you wanted to just do it crisp and clear, that's what you can do. If you qualify for the insurance, obviously you'd have to to make that happen. But that's that's a very one-two punch that you can eliminate taxes. But the the government allows you to do that. There's no issue with that at all uh, in that particular design. So so you could really dig deep in these custom designs for these families. Every family's different. Some families don't want to do that. Some families are more philanthropic. They don't want to give it back to the kids. It, it's a whole litany of reasons why families do do A and B with their estates, but that's why the world we live in, we customize every one of our, our family structures to the family we work with because not every family is the same. I think it's also important to to reiterate how important it is 
whether it's our model at Copper Beach or or you working with your existing team of advisors, is how important it is to keep your advisors in the loop because you can imagine a whole host of issues where maybe this client didn't talk to his CPA at the beginning about what to do with this land and said, you know, I'm just going to put it on the market and pay my tax because uh, that's the only idea that he had in, in his head. Whereas this design, as you can see, really added in his case a lot of benefit ab- apart from just simply selling that land off. And so I think it's just really important to reiterate there's a lot of options out there for you to consider, uh, but it's important that you just keep your experts uh, abreast of what's going on in, in your life. And that's, again, what Copper Beach is designed to do is when we meet with our families quarterly, you know, if that that client, if we were working with them initially, we'd know that this issue came up uh, in terms of this company not leasing this land anymore, and we'd be able to bring in the team of advisors to help strategize on the best course of action. Not to change the subject, we, we interviewed another client uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was having a discussion with the uh, the uh, patriarch of the family, and I asked him a simple question. I said, "In your advisory community that you, because we don't know this gentleman or this family yet, and we're just going through this interviewing process." And, I, and one of the questions we ask is, "Tell me about how you work with your advisors. How do you collaborate? How do you have you built a team around them?" And we usually get the same answer: No, we really haven't gone that direction. So I asked him a question. I said, "What advisor you currently have now that if something happened to you?" that you would want your wife to walk down life with as a partner from the advice side. And he looked at me and said, there isn't one. So the Copper Beach method I refer to it is really designed for, if we go back to that charitable trust design we just had conversation, someone has to monitor all that. Someone has to make sure the family does what the, what the, what the family heads wanted them to do over time. So the, so the Copper Beach structure allows that to develop in families and, and it's it's very it's very hard to explain what we do most of the time. But if you think about, in a nutshell, that's where we live at Copper Beach. We live on that. How do we control, manage, direct? How do we move all these assets to the generations with tax efficiencies, with governance, and 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 wealth creation at the same time, and make it all work together? And that's really the magic. I think of of our of our model in a certain way is that we we focus on that not just the charitable trust idea is all the stuff that comes along with that and that's that's really the the the, the, you know, the strategy we try to incorporate. Guys, we've talked about it before. Uh, you know, I'm a grandfather and I've got kids and I've got some grandkids and I can't think of anything that would be more exciting to me than to help guide and shape my kids and grandkids in, in philanthropic ways. Now I'm not at that level. (laughs) I don't have a bunch of farmland that I need to figure out what to do with or $25 million in the bank. But I know that you guys work with families uh, and have done family meetings, extensive family meetings. And so I've just got a couple questions about this entire concept with a charitable remainder unit trust. You are able to donate something into there and you're, you're naming a charity right? That, that's going to go to after your passing. And we've talked about the replacement methods and, and so on and so forth with insurance. Are you allowed to choose more than one charity that that trust will go to? And the reason I'm asking is because I think that that would be another wonderful step to be able to include kids and grandkids in allowing them to research charities that mean something to them and possibly incorporate that into what happens at the end of, of my time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and the answer is yes. That's a great point, and we've we've had a lot of conversations with families about that very fact. 
because you can imagine that, especially if you take the family foundation concept, that that could go on for multiple mm-hmm. generations, you know, forever, really. And so the as the generations become more in charge of managing that foundation, their goals and their interests or uh, causes that are meaningful to them change as well. And so getting children and grandchildren involved in that decision is really important. Uh, there's dynamics, family dynamic issues with that that I'm sure you can imagine come up, but it's a really important component of of having everyone be involved in that decision. That's why I think in this case that we talked about where the the children in this family, they rotated that responsibility. So everyone had the opportunity to make those decisions in terms of how the, the foundation assets were given to charity and picked uh, causes that were meaningful to them. So yes, that's, that's a great point. Well, actually, that's what that's what part of the conversation in, in this discussion was he didn't know who to give the money to. They had a, they wanted to give it to one of their churches, I think one of the universities, but they had other other options. And we suggested that the foundation might make more sense because of that generational issue. You might have a desire, you guys might have a desire for that university, but your kids might go to a different university. So that's why that foundation was interesting because you could direct, again, that one child or all of them can direct where that money goes each and every year. Uh, so you're right, it's a it's a very unique design, but it's you know, keep it simple. You could say upon my death, it goes to my, my alma mater or it goes to my church and everybody's taken care of. But if you wanna make it more sophisticated like this family did, because of the generational connections, you can make it as a foundation. And I know we're running low on time, and I don't want to steal this, but I've got to say this. We have talked on previous podcasts about how detrimental it can be for a child or grandchild to get an inheritance when they're not ready for it, when they're not prepared for it. And if you want to, and I'm talking to the audience now, if you want to talk to some people that have done this, have the experience, are amazing at it, about how to help your children and grandchildren learn, learn good stewardship of what you've done with your business, with your inheritance, what, however you made the money that you currently have and your family currently has as a legacy, there is no better company out there than Copper Beach. They've got the experience, and, and you can hear them and the joy that it brings them to help these families find a way to get their kids and keep them together focused on stewardship, on philanthropic planning on all these different things so that even when you're gone, you know that this is something that's going to be carrying on for a long time. And how many times do we know that families just fall apart because of money? You have strategies that can actually tie them together closer. So I love it, guys. I'm not ashamed to say I love what you do, and and I appreciate learning more and more each time we get together. Are there any closing thoughts for today's podcast? No, I, I think, well, we love what we do as well. So thank you for those those kind words. I, I, I think what you brought up is really, really important, Eric, because the philanthropic planning can be that gateway mm-hmm. to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. If you're if you're talking about teaching stewardship of, of, of wealth and assets to future generations, philanthropic planning, it, it, many in our industry believe there's no better strategy or, or vehicle to accomplish what you're what you're talking about. So that is a very important component in a family's generational wealth plan, no doubt about it. Yeah, my, my last comment is I, I, I think we said it a multiple multiple times. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And I would push back at your current advisors because mm-hmm. they're probably very qualified to to review a lot of these options. But you as a as a family uh, that you you you're concerned about what happens to your children should put back push back at your attorneys and CPAs and help us do this. 
if you're comfortable, you know, working locally with your current advisors. Uh, but most certainly, Copper Beach is always available to help if if that's an option. Yeah, and and if you haven't noticed, out audience, uh, Copper Beach is generational. They're going to be there. Uh, that's one of the biggest selling points to me is that if if I had the opportunity to have a company that I know was established and has been around for decades and will continue to be around for decades to walk beside my children and my grandchildren as they go through this process as trusted advisors, there is no better choice. So again, guys, thank you so much for today's podcast. I think it was very informative. If somebody's listening to this right now and they want to get a hold of you to start this conversation, can you give them the number to, to get a hold of you? Uh, sure. It's uh, area code 856-988-8300. Fantastic. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And think right now, who should you be sharing this with so that you guys can start having this conversation about how we're going to help the next generation steward the money that you've so eloquently provided them. Again, thanks for listening. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. These situations may not be representative of other clients. There is no assurance your experience will be similar and no assurance of financial success.